Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Popular culture is often at odds with God's plan for the glories of marriage and singleness. Valley Simsbury Pastor Mark Wolf shares encouragement from 1 Peter 4 as we all try to stay on course. Let's listen now. So we continue a series in 1 Peter, and I'm going to read the scripture today. If you're feeling healthy and energized this morning, would you just stand with me for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll, beginning in verse, we'll begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 7. This is what Peter says to Christians that are living in a non-Christian world. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles or unbelievers want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let's just pray. Lord, pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and that you would stir our hearts today. That we would give our hearts and ourselves fully to you, God. Lord, just recognize how important this is. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So my name is Mark. I typically preach up at Valley Simsbury and uh, excited to bring the word, to preach the word to you today. Pastor Rob will be back next week. Uh, we're continuing this series, Navigating a Post-Christian World. Post-Christian world is a world in which, in which we are in the wake of so much of the Christian influence, which at one point in our, uh, in our communities, in our, in our country, had maybe more of a center place in the, in the culture, but uh, today we're, it's more of a post-Christian call, uh, post-Christian world who are more on the margins today. And uh, as Peter is instructing us in his book, in his letter that he wrote, he is talking to the believers about their conduct. In chapter 2, he says, your conduct is really important, how you live your life. People are watching. And so live your life to image Christ. You are the reflection of Christ to the world. And many people will come to know Christ through the conduct, through the life that you live. And he says that there will be some that will malign you, some that will insult you if you truly live for Christ. But he also says that some of those people will eventually, even though they insult you, they will come to know Christ. They will join us together on the day of visitation. And so Peter gets specific in his text talking about 
a number of these different issues. Now, just as we get into this today, I just want to recognize that there's a couple of important days in front of us. One is today, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And another one is Tuesday, and that is Valentine's Day. And I will just say that some of you men out there need to be more focused on Tuesday than today. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I just want to, in light of these uh, two days, important days, and the text that we're going to preach today, uh, I thought we would talk about three things today, uh, football, intimacy, and sex. And some of you uh, just hearing this are saying, I want out of here. Um, and then there's some of you that are saying, this is my kind of church. But I figure if Paul talked about, or excuse me, if Peter talked about these things, we ought to talk about these things too. He wrote these things, and they were literally read at house churches in Asia Minor as they circulated around. He read them to people of all ages. And so we'll just start with football today. Okay, now it is Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you are like, I don't even know who's playing. Don't really care. I'm just showing up for the party and the food. Uh, but there are two teams that are playing today. One is the Philadelphia Eagles. This is who the Wolves will be rooting for today. And uh, I, I would just say also about football today that there is some interesting realities around Christianity, around football, and some of the teams that are playing, some of the people that are involved. One of those is Nick Sirianni. He's the coach for the, uh, the Eagles and uh, I think there's an article that, or a lot, something online that's coming up that shows him talking about, you know, his faith, his family, and football. And in this, if you read it, it's on Sports Spectrum, but you just read that he, he just believes life goes in that order. Uh, uh, his faith, his family, and football. And so you can watch him today on the sideline and make sure that he's doing a good job of representing Christ as he talks to those officials on the sideline. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but if we go to the other side of the ball, uh, the, new, the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the owner for the Kansas City Chiefs is Clark Hunt. And after they won the AFC Championship just a couple weeks ago, he started with faith in God and his God. And uh, so, you know, that's on that side of the ball. And if you go back to the other side of the ball, we come to uh, Jalen Hurts. He's the Eagles quarterback, and he himself is a man of faith, and I don't know him totally, but I'm, I'm always curious to watch, you know, people of faith and how they present themselves and whether they stay the course, right? Like uh, Tim Tebow, just so much respect for him because he has stayed the course through the good and the challenges. Well, if you go back to 2019, uh, Jalen Hurts uh, tweeted uh, when he was the quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners, and here he is on the sideline, and he just said, you know, hashtag chosen one, and just representing his faith in that day, and also living for God in this day. And there's a clip that was uh, recorded after they won the NFC Championship uh, game just a, about a week or, two or so ago, and I, I thought that this in some ways illustrated Peter's point, which he's going to share with us today. So let's just watch this clip. Yeah, I really try and keep the same mindset and mentality um, with everything, try and be consistent with that, um, really be diligent with it, um, enjoy everything that comes with it, but also stay true to who I am, stay true to my goals, stay true to um, what I am and what I want to be for this team. Um, and, you know, really in all of that, keeping God in the center, um, that's, that's what matters the most, mm. um, not any attention, oh, not any um, 
notoriety <laughs> or anything like that. Just doing doing so this. Gods and, and eagles, man. Um, it turns striving out for God's God. purpose yeah, for me. Yeah. Here How we go that? again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's right. Okay, so what we see in this clip is we see uh, Jalen Hurts just saying, like, I want to stay true to who I am. I want God to be number one, and it's not about my notoriety. It's about God's notoriety. And you have two analysts or commentators or, you know, and they're just sort of, in a way, uh, make mocking the life that he is living and uh, that he's bringing this into sports. By the way, we don't spiritualize sports. That, that, that means that we say, hey, God wants me to win, because so if I serve God, I'm gonna win, right? Like, how, I don't know how that's gonna work out in the game today when we see Christians on both sides, but they're just saying, like, a, like God is number one in my life, and they are mocked in the midst of this, and so uh, as you are being mocked, as you are being insulted for following Christ, the, the question of the sermon today is, will you stand with Christ and stay the course? Like, will it be said of your life in years to come that you stayed the course and you walked with Christ and so today, the title of the message is Navigating the Course. I want to talk about how do we navigate the course and stay the course in the post-Christian world. Peter's going to instruct us on this. In verse 1, he begins and he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, he says, arm yourselves. Well, let's just stop there for a moment, and on the count of three, I want everyone just to shout out, arm yourselves. One, two, three. And so he's saying, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And, and the phraseology here is really important. Because uh, the, the word arm yourselves, or those words, uh, come from uh, an ancient word that was used uh, of the military when they were preparing to go to battle. And they would say, arm yourselves, get ready. Get ready because it's not, in the Christian life, it's not a question of if adversity come, it's a question of when will it come. And when it comes, will you be ready? It was also used of horses to harness. It was spoken of like we're harnessing the horses, we're readying the horses. And I don't know, maybe you use the football analogy today. We got some horses in this room, like you're ready to go. But are you harnessed? Are you ready for the adversity that will come upon you? And uh, he continues on. He says, Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, I struggled with this, this phrase, this, this, this word. Like, what does this mean that if I arm myself, myself with the same way of thinking as Christ, that I will cease from sin? There will be a cessation of sin in my life. What does that really mean? And so as I was studying this over and over repeatedly, I had to go back to the, the connective words at the beginning of the verse, right? It says, since, therefore, in other words, what's the therefore, therefore, so he must be speaking of what he, what Peter says in chapter 3, he's pointing back to uh, chapter 3, since therefore, what occurred in chapter 3, you ought to do the same thing. And so I went back to chapter 3, and I just started with a pen and a, a piece of paper, uh, jotting down phrases that refer to Jesus's mindset. 
And uh, I'm just going to uh, put these up here, sort of a string of phrases. He says, first of all, he asks the question, who will harm you? In, in the Christian life, there will be those that will harm you. Uh, he says that you will suffer for righteousness' sake. And he, he says, have no fear of them when you are slandered. There will be a day, there will be times in the Christian life that you will be slandered if you walk with Christ. Uh, he, he says, those who revile your good behavior, Christ also suffered. And maybe the key phrase here, that he might bring us to God. And what he's saying, what Peter's saying, is that the driving force of Jesus' life was to bring us to God. And that was going to involve some suffering, and so buckle up, arm yourself, for the day that that's going to come in your life. He continues on, forever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. What Peter is saying is that when you choose the will of God, you put to death the works of the flesh, that there's a cessation of sin in your life, that there's a growing movement towards sinning less and being living in the sanctification of God in your life. And now he gets real specific about this. In verse 3, he continues, he says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles or the unbelievers want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, uh, let's just leave that verse up for a while because this is sort of like one of those verses we just love to skip over. Like, let's just move on because there's some uncomfortable words there. And if you're uncomfortable talking about any of those things, just join some other people in the room right now. But it's really important that we uh, understand this. Let me just break this down because Peter was writing to people that were living in this Roman culture that was radically different than the world that God desired. Um, he, he speaks of sensuality, and uh, this is indulging in desires without restraint. It's basically saying, hey, got this body, and this body has desires, and so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Hey, he speaks of drunkenness and drinking parties, and just referring to the drinking and the binge parties that were just a reality back in that day. He speaks of orgies. And I would just say, uh, you know, if you were to study the Roman culture, there were brothels all over the place. There was temple prostitution where you'd pretty much go to your God to worship, and they somehow figured out a way to bring all of this sexual sin into it. Uh, he speaks of passions. This is inward, lustful desires. And he says, look, if you're in Christ, this is not to be part of your life. Uh, Christ has saved you. He's produced something and given you something far better. Uh, I, I was studying the culture, the sexual culture in the Roman world as I was preparing for this, and I would just say to you that they, in some ways, had adult literature themselves. Uh, I mean, there were things that were written uh, about fantasy, and so much so that I really don't even want to read it here this morning. But in many ways, in that day, 
we're living in a very similar day in the midst of sensuality and passions. In fact, Kyle Harper, a Roman historian, says it this way. He says, the Christian sexual ethic, it should be obvious, was radically different from the mainstream Roman culture. Sexual morality quickly came to mark the great divide between Christians and the rest of the world. And I might just pause it today that we can't talk about navigating a Christian culture, or excuse me, a post-Christian culture, unless we talk about this matter because it's so significant in our society. And Peter is saying that if you would follow Christ and you would live for Christ in this area, they may insult you and revile you, but some... Maybe many will come to know Christ through the way that you live your life. And so I just want to get into this today, and, and, and let's go to Valentine's Day. Now, in light of this, Valentine's Day is one of those days every year where we celebrate love and we celebrate intimacy, and, uh, and I think it's a great day. Some people think it's a token holiday. They're kind of like, I'm not doing anything on Valentine's Day because it should be every day. You know, we should be loving our wives every day and our husbands every day. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But some of us need the rhythms and the routines to bring us back, to remind us of the love that we have for another person if you're in that relationship. And you should unless you do it every day. You should take advantage of this day. You should be thinking about the, the commitments and the, the life, the love that you have with your spouse. Uh, and it is, I think, for many, a great day for us to do this. But I just want to know that there was also a time with respect to intimacy in America uh, where there, the idea was that, you know, with respect to your, your, your you know, sex and, and your purity and your body that, you know, you would grow up and you would preserve that for a marriage covenant relationship, that God celebrated that, but that you would wait and you would engage in that in the context of marriage. There was a day in America where this was the mainstream idea. And we don't live in that day anymore, but I want to show you how we got from that day to today so that you understand a little bit of where we are today. And I will just be like really clear with you. Uh, I was watching a message that was preached by Pastor Joel Thomas at North Point Church a couple weeks ago, actually, and he presented this. And so I'm just borrowing his work, maybe stealing his work, you know, and just showing it to you, but I'm citing it, okay? And so uh, he just explains that if we go to the chart here, there's a chart that's coming up, and like this is where we live in 2023. There's a cultural revolution, but if we go all the way back, but 120 years to the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, there's a guy that came on the scene, his name was Sigmund Freud. Most of you, if you've studied psychology or read anything in that realm, you know about Freud. And I don't have time to extrapolate everything that he taught today, but generally speaking, he believed that the chief psychological problems of mankind were sexual repression, that we've repressed these desires that we have, and we're not expressing them or living them. And he, he wasn't sort of for, like, let's just everybody kind of do whatever you want to do, but he certainly believed that the mental health and the emotional health of people was tied 
to repressing certain desires that we have. And so he gets this conversation going in the psychological world, and then we fast forward to 1930, and you know, Wilhelm Reich comes on the scene. He was like a second-generation psychologist that came after uh, Freud, and uh, he grew up, or he was living in Germany at the time, and if you know anything about Germany in those days, in the 1930s, it was very oppressive. And so he believed that... Um, uh, societies and governments and leaders had created these, these uh, codes, these moral codes that we had to follow, and that they created them with respect to, 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 to sex to try to control people and to oppress people. And so he said, whereas Freud said it was sexual repression, he said it was oppression. Like we are oppressing people by you know, projecting these moral codes upon them. And he wrote this book called Sexual Revolution. And in this book, he said that sexual liberation, or with sexual liberation, comes human flourishing. And so if we would just remove the moral codes, people will now start to flourish. And this was all part of the conversations, you know, in the early part of the 1900s. And then, as you know, the TV came on the scene and we started to visualize more things. And, you know, there was sort of a pattern and culture of moving just, you know, more out to the margins of where we had been. And technology was advancing. And that all led to 1960. And there was another technological advance in 1960 that occurred. And it was birth control, the birth control pill. And I'm not here today to make any, like, to talk about the good or the bad or whatever, the birth control pill, other than to say that what the birth control pill did was it made people start to be able to have this perception that they could live this liberated life with multiple partners outside of the covenant of marriage without the risk of pregnancy, or without the risk of, you know, the girl that you get pregnant and her dad coming and hunting you down. Uh, it it, it kind of took the ideas in the early part of the century that were circulating culture, and it made it more palatable to live such a lifestyle. And during those years, there was also a couple guys that came on the scene. One was Hugh Hefner, another one was Larry Flint. And what they did was they took all of the thoughts and the desires that people were having, and they made them visual, and they started to populate or provide for the widespread population of adult content. Uh, well, if you continue to fast forward to 1983, on January 1st, 1983, don't know if you know what that is significant for, but that is considered the birth date of the internet. And what occurred in the internet over the years to come was it made it possible to take all that content that was being produced and to make it available to people so that they didn't have to walk into a corner store or to a building to buy something that, quite frankly, they would be ashamed to buy if their wife or some of the friends were to see them. And by the way, just the fact that their shame involved in that should probably tell us something about this, but all of this is flowing and growing, and that leads to 2007. In 2007, we had the iPhone, the first generation of the iPhone, 
and a number of other tablets that came along the way. And with the iPhone and those tablets, it put every kind of sexual impurity that is imaginable. It made it visual. And we put it in the pockets of our 14 and 15-year-old kids. And we made it on demand for every man or woman, young or old, to indulge in without shame, cost, or accountability. And if you fast forward to 2023, this day, we literally have young people growing up thinking that I'm going to honor God with my body, I'm going to enter in and give myself fully to my spouse. A person that grows up in this culture that thinks that way is not normal, they are abnormal. And what Peter is saying here to these Christians that are living in a non-Christian world is that if you live Christ's way, if you follow Christ, you will stand out. If you stand with Christ, you will stand out in the world. Because what was once perverse is now prominent in the culture that we're living today. Uh, by the way, I just want to say that what was promised has not been produced as we think about all of this. In fact, uh, it's scientifically proven, and I'm not going to give all of the studies, the research here today. You can go search that up yourself, and I know that there's probably some of you that are arguing right with me right now in your mind, and you're probably right, but uh, you can go look at the studies. But the, what we know scientifically is that an increase in partners leads to a decrease in the capacity for intimacy. And so if you want to experience intimacy in your life, it comes from one wife. And I'm not just talking about the physical, I'm talking about the mental. I'm talking about our eyes and what we look at and what we think about. Uh, I, I, let me just... Take a side note here for a second and say, I think uh, statistically the majority of us has fallen down in this in some form or some fashion. So I'm not here to throw stones today because if I did, Jesus would probably get down and write on the ground some things about my life and then he would say to you, go and sin no more. Like you are free in Christ. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. But his hope is that we would live uh, God's way, that we would experience intimacy in the glorious way that God created. How many of you know that God is for intimacy? He is for sexual intimacy. In fact, um, I, I just want to kind of talk about this on the positive side just for a moment. But, uh, you know, there's three words in Greek. Actually, I think there's six words that they used in that culture for love. But there's three words that are relevant to us today. And I just want to walk through some of these because it'll help to explain this. But uh, the first word I want to talk to is eros, okay? And it's a word for love in the Greek culture, and it, it, it meant romantic love. It carried this idea of romance. And uh, it's the word, actually, that we get erotic from. 
And, um, you know, if you look into the scriptures, you see this type of love. Just before we get to the scriptures, let me just tell you, like last night, preached here at the sermon, then went to a movie with the kids and some of their friends, and it was Top Gun. And it's like the second time we've seen it, and, you know, I was just watching this movie, and it gets to a certain point, and you see, you know, like the music is going, and they're riding on a motorcycle together, and the romance is flowing. And Hollywood knows how to create this sort of romantic picture that we hope for, that we long for, like you're the person I've been waiting for all my life. And God is for romance. In fact, if you read in the book of Song of Solomon, there's, there's eros in that book. In fact, it's not a book it's a book about, you know, a man and a woman and their friends. And the man says things about the woman, and then the woman says things about the man, and, and then the friends are like, woo you know, it's talking back and forth in this book, and it's, you know, Hebrew poetry, and it's really good. It's not really something we use for our family devotions. Because <laughs> in some ways, it's erotic. God's for that type of love in the right context, Right? But the problem is that what we see in Hollywood, if we just go to this diagram here just for a second, what we see in Hollywood is, you know, there's romantic love, sort of like in the movie I watched last night, and it's like, you know, it's just the feelings are flowing, and then the second type of love is phileo, and uh, this is sort of a friendship love or a brotherly uh, love or a, 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 you know, companionship type love. Uh, in fact, Philadelphia is a contraction of two Greek words. One's phileo, another one's Adelphia, so the city of brotherly love. And uh, this is a love that is like just like as a couple, like we're not just experiencing romance, but we're loving life together. We're doing things together. We're hiking. We're watching movies. We're playing board games. Like whatever it is that you just love to do together as a couple. And God celebrates this type of love. And then there's agape. There's commitment love. And if you grew up in the church, you probably heard that agape was God's love for us. And it's true. But he also says that you ought to have that kind of love for one another. It's the kind of love that is the result of a covenant relationship that is an agreement made between two people that cannot righteously be broken. And this is the type of love that God has. He's in a covenant relation for us. He's committed to us. And he is pursuing us. And he is holding us. And in the same way, this is the type of love that, that it speaks of. And the, the, the post-Christian world, if we go back to that slide just for a moment, the post-Christian world sort of presents this idea that if you have eros for one another and then you work towards phileo, uh, then you can have commitment love. The problem is that one day somebody wakes up and they say, I don't love the person anymore. And I'm always like, well, what type of love are you talking about? Because in God's world, this flips upside down. In God's world, he says, you build the foundation of your relationship on a commitment love, on agape, a, a covenant that's made between two people that cannot righteously be broken. And so you start to build on that foundation. And then as you build, you need to work on friendship love. You need to establish habits and things that you would do that you would not just, that you would be friends with one another. And by the way, studies show that happiness in marriage is tied to habits in marriage. 
If you're not happy in marriage right now, it's very possible it's because you stopped doing the things that you did in the first place that you loved to do together. And my encouragement would be for Valentine's Day or Valentine's Week is start to do the things. See, the problem is that, you know, you got into this relationship, you started to build all these different, you know, foundations, and then you had some eros moments, and then you had kids. And kids make you start to get in the car and taxi them around, and you're dealing with all the stresses and the challenges and the time that kids take. And you start to lose the very things that built such a strong love foundation in your marriage in the first place. So start doing the things. Now here's the thing. You have commitment love. You build on commitment love. And you work towards friendship love. There will be lots of moments of eros in your relationship. It won't be all the time. Because it's a feeling. And in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of busyness, it's hard to create those feelings. However, it's God's desire that you would build your relationship. And this is how it was thought of in the Christian world. It's not thought of in that way today. And that's why Peter's speaking to him. He's saying, look, we don't live in that world. We're living in a different world. Let me talk to single people just for a moment. Single people or single again people. Maybe you're single again. Because I, my guess is that there's some of you teenagers here today uh, that are just kind of looking towards that day into the season of life when maybe you'll get married. Uh, there maybe are some people that were married and for a variety of reasons you're not married anymore. Maybe you're a widower or, or that marriage, uh, that covenant fell apart. Uh, and, and you're saying, I don't really know how to live in this day a morally pure life. Uh, what I want to say to you is that in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, the word eros never appears. The concept does. It's in the Bible. But as much as the New Testament talks about love, it talks about agape and phileo. It talks about friendship love, brotherly love, sisterly love. Uh, it talks about commitment love. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking to Peter serves him breakfast, and he says, Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Peter, do you love me? He actually uses both words there, agape and phileo. He says, like, like, do you love me? And so you can live this life not in a covenant relationship, and you can walk in holiness. You can do it. Is what the New Testament commands us and instructs us and celebrates in our life. Jesus was tempted with all temptations that you are and that I have been, and yet he did not sin. He never entered into a romantic relationship, and he experienced the fullness of love that you can experience in this life. And so if we live for Christ, we walk with Christ, we will stand out in the world. And that's why in he, first Peter, can, or Peter continues his thought in verse 4. He says, with respect to this, they, the unbelievers, are surprised. 
when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Now just side note, if I'm talking to friends that don't know Jesus, we're talking about sin, struggles, I'm probably not using the phrase flood of debauchery. But nevertheless, Peter is here not speaking to non-Christians. He's speaking to Christians. And he's saying there is a flood of things going on in the culture. Drunkenness and party, sexual immorality. And apparently there were some Christians that were saying, I'm going to just live in them. I'm just going to join in them. And he says, no, 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 no for the sake of Christ, for the sake of people that they would know Christ. You're to have nothing to do with them. I want to go back to football as we just close here today, but uh, I'm going to show a picture up on the screen here. Um, and uh, this is uh, Danny Woodhead that Tom Brady is throwing to. Danny Woodhead is uh, number 39. He played for the Patriots, and I want to focus on him uh, just for a moment today. Denny Woodhead, he was uh, a small running back. He was actually a lot of fun to walk, watch, kind of you know, pinballed, you know, just all over the place. But uh, uh, he played for the Patriots from 2010 to 2012. He actually played on the Super Bowl team. Uh, they ended up losing the Super Bowl, but they almost had the perfect season. And he was a running back on that team. And I came to know about Danny through a couple, Paul and Virginia Friesen, who uh, was, w would come to the church, would come to our marriage, uh, excuse me, our, our pastor's conferences, and they would, would, would talk about love and intimacy. And uh, they were talking one day about Danny and his wife, Stacia. And, and Danny, they were also, uh, Paul and Virginia were also uh, Bible, they led a Bible study for the Patriots, and so a number of the Patriots would come to their Bible studies, and they explained that one day in a study, Danny was there, and they were talking about the hardest things they've ever done, and he said, you know, one of the hardest things that I've ever done is waited eight years to be intimate with who became my wife, um, to walk with God in my purity it's so one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And so there's a picture that's coming up of them when they were in high school. They started dating in high school, probably on the early years of high school. They went all the way through college and got married uh, after college. And he just explained, like, I, I, I was walking with Christ and I wanted to serve Christ and I wanted to honor him in this place of my life. And you can read about them on the Home Improvement Ministries website, Him, Home Improvement Ministries, uh, where it shows a picture of Danny and Stacia speaking to a group of, I think, 500 kids, along with another Patriot, New England Patriots couple, and them telling their story of walking with Christ and serving Christ in the midst of their purity. And their message to this group was that we waited for it and it was worth it. Peter's point here, there's another picture that's coming up. At some point, he left the Patriots and he went to the Chargers. Just leave that up there for a moment. But I thought this was a beautiful picture that illustrates Peter's point because what Peter is saying is he's saying, you will be given a platform in this life. 
Most of us, it won't be in a stadium with thousands of people, but your platform will be in your job. It will be in your home in front of your kids. It will be with those people that you are discipling or investing in, or maybe you'll be a youth leader at some point, and you have this platform. And he is saying, like, how you live matters because by your conduct and your lifestyle, even though people may insult you and mock you and make fun of you, if you say, like, I just want to live for Christ, and I want to save myself, and, 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 and if I've fallen down on this, I want to get up, and I want to go sin no more, and, and I want to be really radical in what I do with my phone and my computer, and I'm going to put some things on it so that I can't access certain content because I have like weak moments when I just know if I don't have something there to protect me, I'm going to fall. And the world will say, you're crazy. You are abnormal. And Peter will say, if you're in Christ, you will be abnormal. And so arm yourself with the same way of thinking that people would come to know Christ and that you would live in the glory of God. And the last verse I'll touch on today is verse seven. He says, the end of all things is at hand. In other words, live your life like Jesus may come back tomorrow. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled. I've just talked about desire today, the desire to live holy and righteous. Didn't have a chance to get into the disciplines. Desires always need discipline, disciplines in your life. And so I would invite you to continue the conversation, but let me just close by asking a few questions today. My question is, will you stay the course and stand for Christ? Will you stay the course in your salvation? Will you stay the course in your purity? Will you stay the course in your singleness? Will you stay the course in your marriage? And thereby stay the course in your witness? Peter says, you better arm yourselves because the day is coming. They're going to try to take you down. But he says, I believe you can stand. If Christ suffered, may we also suffer. Amen? Statistically speaking, I would say probably the majority of us have fallen down in this matter. And I want to declare to you today, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And his invitation to you is to get up and to start to walk in his ways again and to go build the kingdom of God through your, certainly by your words, 
but your lifestyle matters. Hypocrisy is the one thing, maybe the most important thing that the world will not overlook. And so today, I want to invite you to get back up and to start to follow Christ, to receive the grace of God, to accept the grace of God, and to renew the terms of the covenant. The covenant you made with Jesus when you said, I'm going to follow you. Renew the terms today. Just renewing the terms. I'm going to follow you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.